This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. The topic rejection hurts. That's something each of us know about. I would say that almost every person, some point in their life, experiences rejection, some more than others, and it's something that's really painful. We often see in our communities, our children, in many different areas and environments. We see our children getting into schools, high schools, misiftas, seminaries. We see it in Shaduchim. We see it in, in the school every day, the bullying on the playground. And rejection hurts. It hurts a lot. There's a fascinating study that was done in 2005 and many subsequent studies since then that showed clearly that the same regions of the brain that are associated with physical sensory um, pain, sensory, painful sensory experiences, pain was associated with the same uh, interaction in the, ba- in the brain regions that were activated during intense experiences of social rejection, specifically social rejection. Even more so in some of the follow-up studies, they actually get, took two groups of individuals and they, there was a virtual reality ball game. And they gave one group, they wanted to see if we give Tylenol to one group of the, over the other, will that actually dim the responses in the brain related to the pain, rece- pain receptors? And they actually found that it did. I'm not recommending that you give your children Tylenol, but it's fascinating. We actually see that social rejection is so terribly painful. Today we're going to primarily focus on, or I'm going to primarily focus on, rejection related to children getting into schools and high schools and seminaries and so on and so forth. The story goes as follows. The Rosh Hashiv is in the cab, and he's, they're going from one place to another, and the Rosh Hashiv is telling the cab driver, do you know the Bakram today? It's incredible. It's nothing like we grew up with. They're doing this, and they're doing that, and the level of chutzpah, and you read this Hatayris, and what's going on in the world? It's the whole entire ride. And at the end of the ride, Rosh Hashiv gets out, and the cab driver turns to the Rosh Hashiv, and he says, this is what it is. This is what we have. I'm not here, and certainly me, I don't have the shoulders. I'm not here to change our system. And our system certainly affects and impacts in many, many ways. And perhaps we have wonderful organizations. We have, you know, Agudas Yisrael, other organizations, you know, in open meetings, closed-door meetings, could discuss our school systems and the problems with that. But that's not what I'm here for today. When I'm here today, because most of us in this room are parents, grandparents, what can we do when our children or people we love and care about are rejected? And secondly, how could we prevent? What could we actually do? Lamaisa, what could we walk out with today that can help us be better parents and help our children grow up in an effective, healthy environment? So I want to briefly just talk about the impact. So... Firstly, as I said, it hurts, and it hurts a child's self-esteem, short-term and long-term. And there are countless stories of how individuals who experienced rejection in their younger years, as they got older, it was affecting them in so many ways. I can vividly remember, at the end of seventh grade, there was a situation where I had some social rejection. I could visually see exactly where I was, remember the tears, the heartache, the pain. It feels like yesterday. Rejection truly hurts, and it, we can, it affect us in very, very long terms. Someone shared with me a story. There was a girl who got into school a week before. School didn't start yet. She got in a week before. It impacted her to the degree that every time 
that she went ahead and Shaduchim, seminary, there was so much anxiety and fear and avoidance just because of that experience initially of being rejected over and over. It was interesting, as I was telling people, I was talking about rejection, everyone had a story. Everyone said, this is such an important topic. Everyone was able to relate that rejection is something that's real and it's a problem that we're experiencing. Rejection is across the world. I don't know if this is true. I don't have the research. But I think part of the beauty of our community and being a close-knit community, I think sometimes the rejection in our community could be ongoing and very, very painful. If you think about it, when children go ahead, for example, and they don't get into school, and then they're walking out and about, and this one gets into school, and that one gets into school, and this one asks, where are you, and where are you going, or shaduchim, there's so much that we're so close connected, and we're asking each other, and we're interacting with each other, that uh, it could be really, really painful. Children, as we know, younger children certainly are very egocentric. They view the entire world as related to them. So when young people are rejected, they generally see it, even though we see it as adults, as, as completely their fault. And they take all the responsibility for it, which makes it so much more painful. Parents get overwhelmed with their own feelings and of rejection. So I'm not here just to talk about the children, because the parents experience it as well. And this is part of what I hope to talk about in terms of intervention, because when parents are dealing with their own emotions and their own feelings, they're not able to properly be there for their children and to assist their emotional needs of their children. And the shame, the shame for the children, the shame for the parents, the impact of them not wanting to go out and about, not going to events, not going to, you know, certain, you know, chasnas or go to shul. The boy who goes to shul didn't get into yeshiva yet. What are the other boys saying? And everyone's talking about, I'm going to this mesefta or that mesefta or this seminary. It's very, very painful and impacts. And of course, the feelings of isolation because when, once that happens and we start to avoid and we feel the shame and we withdraw, that's where children start to feel alone and isolated. And we know that's certainly a risk factor long-term for school dropout and certainly for children going off the derech, not because it's not Tyra, but it's just they feel so alone and they can't connect to us and to our communities. Um, and a lot of anger and resentment and bitterness, um, which goes just affects all of us. And certainly, I don't need to talk about the Lashon Hara, the Rechilas, the Motsi Shemra, where things are taken out of context and people talk and say this about this school and this about that child, and it just really, really is hurting our community. Of course, what happens when one child is struggling and there are other children in the family, the competitiveness, the sibling rivalry, um, shalom bias between the spouses, what happens when they're dealing with rejection with their children? and they're getting frustrated or upset with each other. It can actually affect the whole household. And this last point, and, I'm, and of course this, just talking about the impact, and I'm not here to talk about the impact because I want to move to intervention, but it's, you know, we can talk about it for a long time, but there's one piece that I've seen that's unique, but I think it's important to mention, is that sometimes when we have children who are rejected, um, children, adolescents from school systems, and it just doesn't work out, we feel hopeless. And I think sometimes there's a mycid or there's someone who opens their arms and says, no, we love you, we'll take your child, we want your child. And for a hurt, broken heart, there's nothing like to hear that. And it's important that other people are opening up their arms. But I think people are quick to make decisions and impulsive decisions and just sending their child anywhere once they feel rejected. And I think that could have a negative impact because they're such an emotional state, they're not able to really see the bigger picture and what's best for their child. 
So how can you help your child cope? What can you do? So firstly, acknowledge it hurts. As I said, I know that sounds simplistic, but it's so important. It really, really hurts. And if we think about, we know it hurts for ourselves, and we should validate ourselves also. It could be very, very helpful. You know, sometimes we're in our own pain and we just don't want to get in touch with our emotions, but acknowledging hurts is very important. And normalize and validate the experience. Obviously, in validation, we know what that is. And you say, you know, you say to a 20-year-old girl, you know, she got rejected from a few shadokhim, you say, do you know how many girls are out there that are 25, 26, that don't even get a date? Right? That's not going to make her feel so much better. Just have a muna, just have a tachan, we'll get through it, just grow up, we'll get through this. A lot of times we don't mean to invalidate the child. Uh, and we maybe have our way of understanding it, but that's not necessarily how the child is experiencing it. So be able to sit down with the child, suspend your own emotions and your own beliefs, and sit there and try to understand their experience. Give them that time of day, and speak to them until you see their face soften up, until you see, until they start shaking. They don't have to shake, but like you can see that you understand. It's very, very powerful, and I'm not going to that. The research in terms of validation of emotion actually helps decrease emotion and regulate emotion. So it's super, super important. Um, and then help them, give them a language. Observe and describe as adults, we have more of a language, an expressive language of emotion, so we can observe what they might be experiencing and feeling and give them the names. You're, deje- you're dejected, you're hopeless, you're shamed, you're embarrassed, you're hurt. You know, you're, you're disgusted, whatever that emotion might be. There's a fascinating research study that took two groups of college students and they showed them a very traumatic video. And one group, they gave regular vocabulary to, de- to express and to verbalize what they were feeling. And the other, they gave silly words, words of, you know, a five-year-old. And what they actually saw is the ones who cannot put their experiences or what they saw into words increased frustration and increase this regulation. The, uh, those who could just able to say, wow, that was so scary, you know, um, that, that, that's terrible. Just the ability to put words, and we know certainly younger children, and as children develop, they don't have that language, and helping give that language could be very, very powerful in helping them deal and cope with when they have rejection. Um, and the other thing is, you know, Unfortunately, this is the reality, is that when a child, an adolescent, is going through such, uh, an experience like this, um, adults and children certainly are insensitive, and they ask many questions. So did you get into school yet? You know, where are you going? Um, oh, nothing yet? Oh, God, that must be really hard. You sure? You know, oh, did you try this one? And for a child, how overwhelming you know, and then we're going to talk about that the the rejection is just constantly being triggered again and again and again. Sitting down with your child and giving them some statements to be able to respond to when someone prepare them. Say, you know, tell people we're working on it. Tell people my parents we have some options. My parents are taking care of it. And I and you know, here's the therapist to me. But you sit down and you actually practice it. You can role play it. Okay, you could say it over and over and give them that line and just say that line again and again. We're working on it. We're working on it with a little smile. And it could really be very, very helpful. You know, can you imagine a, a girl, you know, going to high school and, you know, it happens. You know, a lot of people are asking questions. Or Shaduchim, to give them those words and that line and prepare them. 
Again, that will help them through rejection. Um, the other thing is, as I said before, how can we help children see things as their fault? We are responsible. We are bad. It's because of us that we're not getting into schools. So this might be nice if you can do it either in a more structured way or unstructured way, but something might be helpful. Is you can say to the child, how much do you believe that this is because of you, that you're responsible for the reason why you didn't get to school or you weren't accepted or the struggles? So they say, it's all me, 100%, 100% me. So then you sit there and you make a list and say, well, could it be that schools are overcrowded? Could it be that there are different policies in place? Could it be that there are communities that take certain numbers, you know, schools that take from certain communities or certain schools, a certain amount of people? You know, there could be so many things. And make this list for them. And so let's break it down. What's the likelihood that this plays a role? And as you'll see, as you keep adding some percent, they're going to have to change their percent. It's no longer 100%. Because if it's 10% because of this, and it's a 5% because of this, slowly that 100%, they're going to start to open their minds. It's in a guided way that they can actually see that there are many, many causes. Yes, it's still going to hurt. Rejection hurts. And yes, they might still feel, but that's going to help open their eyes. Because if you're going to tell a child, it's not because of you. It's not because you're doing it. It's not necessarily going to be so effective. So that might be something that will be uh, more helpful for a child. Um, and the last thing is, in terms of helping your child cope, for certainly for older children, you have to see if it's appropriate, is to highlight for, for them that rejection is redirection. And rejection, and this is really a Muna too, but rejection is often could be a better fit. And here's a great quote. Every time I thought I was being rejected from something good, I was actually being redirected for something better. So now what can we do as, as parents, ourselves, now that we understand what can we do? Um, we talked about interacting with the child. So firstly is model strength for our children. This is a very, very difficult thing. And again, just like our children have emotions, we have emotions. We have to model that strength. There's been a lot of research that, actually, that I've seen recently showing that young children who lost, who only have, who lost a parent and have only one surviving parent remaining in the house, one of the most significant risk factors and long-term effects was if the surviving parent was able to maintain stability and structure in the home, and certainly community support as well, is that we know, and we, we could only imagine, you know, certainly what an Amanda is going through, but we know if you're struggling yourself, you need to model that strength for your child. So if you need to cry, that's okay, and you need to talk to your spouse, that's okay. Do that privately, not in front of them, and try to be strong for your children. And don't speak negatively in front of them. Because again, as I said, it re-traumatizes that rejection, that blame, that responsibility over and over again. And it can be helpful for us because we do have judgment. We all judge, myself included. We all judge. And we label things as doesn't make sense and it's good and bad. It could be helpful for us. Let's look at causes and not at judgment. I have people come to me in Lakewood and they say, you know, the school system is crazy. That's a judgment, right? So I say, you know what? There are lots of problems. You know, there are, it's a young community. A lot of people moving in. A lot of people want this school and that school. Some of the schools are newer schools. They don't know how to deal with these things. Let's look at the causes instead of getting stuck in the judgment and the labeling because that can decrease the intensity of our emotion. Um, and then provide support, love, care, be, for, be there for them. There was a study, 
this, this study is related to something called interpersonal synchronization, which means is that we psychologically mirror, physiologically mirror our brain image waves, the person that we're with. So they took a bunch of couples, um, and they had the woman uh, sitting in a chair, and they gave her some mild, mild to moderate heat pain. Her spa- they, had, they did this three times. They had the spouse outside the room, inside the room, and holding her hands. And they actually found that there was, in the EEG, they found differences in brain reactivity associated with pain when the, the spouse was there. And just the physical touch actually increased the synchronization in the brain. The further away, the waves were different. The closer, the pain decreased. So clearly, just being there, it's not about what you say, it's just about being there. And certainly physical touch could be so, so powerful. And of course, understanding um, all we could do is hishtadlis. Um, the, I heard Bishem the Mashkiach Shlita of Mantisio Salomon. He said as follows, the Briskarov said that when someone is purchasing a, purchasing a house, there are three things when purchasing a house. Firstly, Yechelis. So the Rabbi Yishlam had the capability to help a person buy a house. Two, Hashem's doing what's best for me. This house is for me. And what's the third thing when I buy a house? What I think is best for me. So what went wrong? What went wrong is what I think what's best for me. Hashem has a yichayvus. Hashem could do what's best for us. And that's important to keep in mind. And certainly using the opportunity to strength our own uh, emuna and betachan, which is, you know, essential um, when being able to get through difficult times. Um, I have a close chavar of mine who's very, very chashav yagamang, very chashav a family, his wife worked in a school as a secretary for seven years. There was no question the school was going to take their little girl. How could they not? They didn't apply to anyone else. And I'm telling you a very Hushar family. All of you would know this family. And in the end of the day, they waited. Not only did they get, they didn't get an interview. So, what did he do? You know, he said the Dishtalis, very special person. He moved on. Happened to me, and we have countless stories of this. Happened to be two years later. That yeshiva had a political troubles. Now how the structure fell apart of the yeshiva, the class that his child was going to be in, those two classes, I think it was actually a boy, those two classes, I'm not giving numbers because I don't know the numbers, but he said the majority of the class went off the derech. And even if not, they struggled significantly. The Rabbi Yishlam was redirecting him into the place that he had to be. So we have to know as parents to have a munah and we have to know when to take a no. And my last piece before I'm going to call on uh, Rabbi Wallerstein, who's going to share more on this issue, is prevention. There's a lot, we talked about intervention, but there's a lot we can do to prevent rejection. Firstly, build resilience. Build your child. So much of the work that I do is there are people who develop from a very young age negative core beliefs about themselves. I'm inadequate. I'm defective. I'm bad, I'm no good. And when they have these negative beliefs about themselves, when something comes negative in their life, rejection or anything like that, guess what happens? How do they process it? They process it according to that belief. Here I go again. I'm terrible. I'm a loser. I can't do anything right. If we can build our child, and I'm talking to myself too because it's so easy to focus on when our child is negative, but are we focusing on their strengths and positive? Because when things are smooth, and we see this in the classroom too, when things are going well, we're not looking out for that. 
But we've got to get our magnifying glasses out. If we want to prevent our children struggling, we have to regularly focus on their qualities and strengths and help them build, develop, and focus on their strengths. And they might not be great scholastically, and they might not be have the most friends, but they could be creative. They could be sensitive. They could be good at sports. They could have a wonderful memory. They could just remember songs and words of songs. There's so many areas, and it has to be genuine where we could tell our child, you're, you're awesome. You're amazing. And, and this, this is going to help build your child and be resilient. Um, the other thing is teaching the children, and I didn't mention this by the children specifically, and I'll explain to you why. I talked about our own Amunah B'tachan. We have to be very careful, because when someone's in pain, and certainly a child or an adolescent, you're going to start talking to them about Amunah B'tachan, probably not going to take it too well. The Mashkiach, Romantisio, he always says over, in the, uh, from the Rabbeinu Tam and Sefer Ayyashar, he says, life is full of Nisyanis. And we have to spend our life preparing for those nisyanis. That's what we have to do day in and out before the nisyanis come. And so we really have to build our child, but teach our children life is full of challenges. And I think often as parents, we're so busy protecting our children. We don't want to say no. We don't want to, you know, uh, we want to make sure they're always happy and good. We need them to understand that struggle is a part of life. You know, the famous metaphor is that the, the man sees the, butter, the, the butterfly trum, trying to come out of the the cocoon, and it's pushing and pushing, and his heart goes out, and he opens up the cocoon, and he takes out the butterfly, and the butterfly walks a few steps, and its, and its wings shrivel, and it dies. What the man didn't understand is that pressure, moving out of that cocoon and pressuring, was sending fluids to the back, to the wings, to give it its strength to fly. If we want our children to fly, we have to understand that life is a struggle and a challenge, and if we let them and help them understand new standards and challenges, then they'll be able to fly. The other thing is prepare them for interview season. We just throw ourselves in. Sit down with your child. Help them understand that this is a difficult process and rejection happens. And how are we going to cope? And what's the worst case scenario? You have to be careful with which child, but even you could visualize. And if you get rejected, what are we going to say to ourselves? How are we going to do? What are going to be our options? You can prepare them before, and that will certainly help with prevention. And um, do our proper research before applying. I can't tell you how many times I've seen this. His parents are applying to schools. Yes, I understand we want our children to be the, reach their potential, and maybe we have this vision of the Gadaldar, but we have to know their academic capabilities. We have to know their social capabilities. We have to know our own hashkafa and our own family background. Is this the right environment for us? Sometimes we put all our eggs into one basket and we said, this is the place. We are setting up for potential rejection. And I think it's important to think about um, doing that proper uh, research before applying to help our children. And the last point is, again, accept and work with the reality and the rules of the system. You might not be happy with how the schools or the seminaries and how they are, but work with the system that is. Because so many, I remember I had a friend you never forget this. It was a bunch of years ago, and we were in Lakewood, and as you know, it's a struggle getting sometimes to your kid. And he says, I'm a good guy. He's a good guy. And he says, the school will take me. I'll apply to a school. I'll get in. And I said to him, you're right. You're, you're an amazing guy. That's not how it works here. You've got to make a call. You've got to do your established. You've got to find out, you know, which is the right school or maybe make a connection. Eh, no, don't worry, work out. Two weeks before school, his child was not in school yet. And he's, he's right. And principally, he's right. And yes, 
People say, well, in out-of-town communities, everyone just comes in. And that's true, and that's wonderful. But we have to understand the system that we have and don't get all self-righteous in what we think is right and think about what's the reality. And if we want to help our children grow and develop and not experience rejection, we have to work with what the system is and not with our expectations of how it should be. Thank you so much, Rabbi Wallerstein. Thank you very much. Amazing. I don't have any PowerPoints. I'm still from the old school. But first of all, good Chaydish, everyone. Chaydish Kislev. What down? I just saw some yesterday. Someone sent me a message that I'm from Chaydish Kislev until Zoyz Chanukah. If every single day you're besimcha and you thank Hashem for what He gives you, you'll see Nisim Benefloys. That's what it brings down. So. Be happy every single day. Thank Hashem for what you have. This is a huge subject. And um, every challenge that a person has, you will find in the Torah. Every single challenge that even in our generation, with all the new stuff, it's all in the Torah. There was, there was one thing I couldn't find, and I went to some big tzaddik in Eretz Yisrael. I couldn't find in mental health. I couldn't find anorexia in the Torah. And I feel very much that if you could find the situation in the Torah and see how they figured out what to do, then we could figure out what to do. We couldn't find eating disorder. We couldn't find an eating disorder in the Torah. So I went to some tzaddikim in Eretz Yisrael, and one of them jokingly said, well, the seven skinny cows ate the seven fat cows and they still still skinny. <laughs> but that was a dream, so that wasn't, a, that wasn't anorexia. But actually, we found it. By Chana, I don't have the Pasuk in front of me, but by Chana it says that she was very depressed, and therefore she didn't go with her husband to the base of Migdash to eat. Mamish, everything, anything, trauma, abuse, I mean, we know what Dina went through, we know not getting pregnant, what Sarimena went through, we, knew, we know about kids off the derech, Yishmal and Esau, whatever, you, whatever you're going to talk about in our generation is in the Torah. Learning disabilities, Mashabeinu couldn't speak. Deafness. We, we, we see that the, the son of Daniel, he was, the, everything is in the Torah. So, not being accepted, rejection, is huge. But yes, it's a And if we can figure out how a brother who was rejected by his brothers, unaccepted by his peers, ended up saving the world, then we can teach that to our children, and that's what I do. And it has a lot to do with what was said before me. So let's, and then I'll tell you a fascinating story. Let's go to Pasha's Vayeshev. So Ela told us Yaakov, Yaakov had a son who should have gotten into every yeshiva. He was the closest, was Yosef. He had a son, it doesn't say the other children, it says Yosef. He was very sensitive to other people's feelings. We know that he came to his father and complained that the six sons of Leah were not being nice to the four sons of the Shrachos. He was a superstar. Yisrael Ahav as Yosef Mikobanov. The Torah says, and again, before I even go into this year, I'm going to be very literal today. 
but we have no idea who the Shvatim were. We can't look down at them. Because even though people say, how could they sell their brother? In the end, it says that Yaakov's 12 sons, all, all his children, were perfect. That's why he knew he was going to Gan Eden. So in the end, the Torah is, is saying witness that even though there was a sale and whatever happened, in Shemayim, Hashem was the tenth in the minion that agreed to sell Yosef HaTzadik. So there's a lot more than meets the eye, but I'm going to be a little bit literal today. So, rejection, lack of acceptance. Vayiru echav ki avihem, mikol echav, vayisnu Again, I'm just translating literally. They hated him. It's unbelievable how, how, how detailed the Torah tells us about this rejection. They couldn't talk nice to him. They didn't have the ability to talk to him in peace. Imagine a kid in a class, he's being bullied. They could not talk to him in peace. Okay, his father sees what's going on. And he says, I have a plan. Yaakovinu says, I'm going to send him to see how they're doing and how the sheep are doing. And when they see that, they'll see, they'll forget about the, the dreaming and all that. And they'll see that he cares about them. And my, 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 my children will get along. But it backfired. By Yimsu Ish and a Malach found him. And he was lost. He was wandering. And the Malach asked him, not where you're going, everybody. He didn't ask him where you're going. If someone's lost, you ask him where you're going. He didn't ask him where you're going. He said, what do you want? Interesting question. Someone's lost. You ask him, where are you going? You're looking for the hotel? I'll give you directions. You don't ask him, what do you want? If someone's lost, he's lost, he's wandering, you ask him, where you're going? But that's not what the Malach, the Malach knew where he was going. The Malach said to Yosef, I know you're going to meet you. What do you want from this meeting with your brothers? Very sad, very sad, Pasek, because I'm teaching 42 years in yeshiva, and I've heard this from many children. But Yoimer and Yosef Atzadik said, Es achai anoichi mevakesh. Not where I'm going. Mavakesh, not where I'm going. You ask me what I want. I want to be accepted. I want to be one of the brothers. He wasn't accepted. He was the odd man out. Even the B'nai Shvachos, the children of the maidservants, didn't have anything to do with him. The ones that he tried to protect, the ones he tried to be nice to, also rejected him. He said, okay, your brothers are on so-and-so place. Rejection comes from the next Pasuk. Why do people reject children or reject each other? When you look at somebody from afar, you don't get close to them, and you don't understand their potential, how many kids are superstars. They rejected from yeshivas. The re- girls and boys are rejected from shiduchim because their resume, you're looking at someone from afar, you're reading a piece of paper about a human being. I am, I'm the anti-resumes. 
I'm not for resumes on Shidduchim because you get you, many times you get the wrong picture. You you have to know about the person that this this is their friends, and you call the friends. Of course, they're going to say good report. It's, it's ridiculous. The whole thing is ridiculous. All the names on the paper are people that that are going to say good about you. From a piece of paper, you can understand what a kid is. You can understand what makes them tick, what makes them think, what their potential is. So yeah, we're very much into looking from afar. What happens when you look at another Jew, another person from afar? And the passage is very detailed. Before he could even get close, before they could even find out why, why, why are you here? And he would have told them, I'm here to see how you guys are doing. So they decided they're going to kill him. You want to kill somebody? Judge them from afar. And each one said to each other, Who's coming? Not my brother, not someone to find out how we're doing, but uh, we know him as a dreamer and saying terrible dreams about us that we're going to bow down to him. He's a bala chaloimais. Throw him into the bar. How many of our children, how many shiduchim are thrown in to the bar? And we'll see what he ends up growing up to be. Totally rejected. They come down to Mitzrayim. And he sees them. And the Pasuk says that they look at him from afar. They look at him. And they don't recognize him. They don't recognize him. But he recognizes them. Yosef sees them and he recognizes them. And the next passage it says, Yosef He doesn't recognize. They don't recognize him. And it's a bitmia. The terrorist asking a question: How could it be? How could it be that they recognized him? I mean, that he recognized them and they didn't recognize him. So it's an interesting mafirish. I don't really understand it because it says he grew a beard. He, when he was single, he was he was he was clean shaven, and now he grew a beard, so they didn't recognize him. But the chidah says that that he was he looked at, many mafirishim say that that Yosef looked exactly like his father. So now when he when he didn't have a beard, he didn't look like his father because his father had a beard. Now, twenty two years later, he looked exactly like his father. Unbelievable chidah. You have to hear this chidah. So. The Torah says, he recognized them. They didn't recognize him. How could they not recognize him? He looked exactly like his father. He had a beard. He had the same face. He looked exactly like his father. How could it be he didn't recognize him? So the Medrash says, they knew he was alive. They sold him to Mitzrayim. They didn't kill him. They came down. When they came down to Mitzrayim, the Medrash says, they went looking for Yosef HaTzadik. Where did they go look for Yosef HaTzadik? In the base Zainais in the lowest red light district of Mitzrayim, in the most immoral places, because that was their picture of who their brother was. If that's your picture, then you can look at that person in the face when they're in a whole different place and not recognize them. Says the Chidah, Pliyadik Chidah, that when he reveals himself, in Pashas Vayigash, the Pasik says, 
He couldn't control himself. He sent everybody out. He said, I need Yosef. I'm not the person you thought I was when you judged me, when you looked at me from afar. Is my father still alive? They could not answer him. Why could they not answer him? Because they were in shock of his face. What does that mean? It says the Chidah, that after he revealed who he was, they looked at his face, he looked exactly like Yaakov, they were in shock. How did we miss it last time? We went through all this broken yamin down. They put him in jail. They put Shimon in jail. They went through all this agony. And now, the minute he said, I'm Yosef, they looked at him and said, oh my gosh, of course you're Yosef. Nivhalumi Panov. They were in shock from his face how they did not recognize him. It's a chidah. It's not Rabbi Wallace. It's a chidah. If that's what you think of your child, and they grow up to be something else, you won't even recognize them. I'll tell you a true story. It happened in Glotmart, in Flatbush. I talk about this all the time. So I have a school called BCA. It's a high school for girls that that have been thrown out of schools for whatever reason they were thrown out of schools. And they, we opened it up 10 years ago, and they were on the street, and they were out till 4 o'clock in the morning. Those girls would hang out on the corner till 4 o'clock in the morning. They slept all day. And I'm not going to get into the whole story of BCA, but we opened up we opened up this school and Baruch Hashem, we have success, some not, some yes, but we have success. And there's this one girl that was in our school that did amazing, totally turned around. She used to wear pants with, 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 with all kinds of, all kinds of stuff. And she turned around and she ended up marrying a boy that's sitting and learning. For us, that's like crazy, unbelievable, wild success. And she's in Glotmart on a Friday with her little, with a shaito, dressed sneer stick, with her little baby. We call them, those babies, our grandchildren. And there's a person there, I'm not going to say man or woman, because then someone can figure out who it is. There's a person there, the principal that threw her out of school in 10th grade. She's not angry. She's not, she's not like that as a person. And also, she did something really bad to get thrown out of school. So she has no kindness on this person. Walks over and says, Hi, Shalom Aleichem. I'll just make up a name. Um, it's me. So he's a principal. He's had, oh, no, I said he. Okay, sorry. But um, many, many, many girls were in his school. You know, I get that all the time. People, girls come over to me. They're like, Rabbi, or now is already 20 years old. Hi, Rabbi Wallenstein. And I have no idea who they are. Some of them are even sitting in my chair every Wednesday night, and I have no idea. Hashem took my memory away. When I started teaching girls and women, he took my whole memory away of anybody's face. So sometimes I come home, and my daughter's at the door, and I'm like, are you in my school? Are you in Ornava? I'm, I'm your daughter, Ta. So, so yeah, my, so girls come over to you and say, hey, Rabbi Wallerstein, remember me? I'm like, sure. You know, the worst thing you can tell someone who comes to your shir is, no, I don't remember you. That's like, you're killing them. So, Vahemlihi Kuruhu. So, yeah. So, of course, they're Brooklyn girls, some of them, and they're like, yeah, you do? What's my name? So I have an answer. I'm like, it's not sneeze to call a girl by her name. But they're Brooklyn girls. They're like, okay, here's a pen and paper. Write it down. <laughs> so, so he's, so she says, I'm so-and-so. He says, no, you're not. You're her older sister. I know. 
Why are you playing games? You're not. You're not Miriam. You're Yocheved. She goes, no, I'm not Yocheved. I'm Miriam. I'm the one you threw out in 10th grade. He looks at her, shaitel, long skirt, baby. She says, and you should know my son's in Kailel. He says, no, come on. How's your sister, the one that, that was out of school in 10th grade? How's she really doing? She said, no, it's me. I'm telling you. He says, impossible, turns around and walks out. So she called me up, subrach and broken in pieces. She said, all the work I did, Rabbi Wallerstein, just went out the window. I said, no, it didn't. It's his problem. Because he judged you. He put you on the street in 10th grade. And he can't be wrong. If you are who you are today, then it makes him totally wrong. So when Yosef said, I need Yosef, all the life that these brothers had till now in judging and everything made them wrong. They're like, we can't believe that this is, that our whole life until this point we were wrong. But as long as the person who's rejected knows that they're not rejected, nobody could hurt them. Right, Wallace, what do you mean? I, I didn't get into school. Person very close to me applied to a very good seminary in Eretisrael. She's a very good student. Her problem is that she's brilliant. So she doesn't work hard. She gets straight olives without working hard. When the head of the seminary called the school to get information on this girl, they said she's a she's an olive student, but she doesn't work. He decided, not for my school. I only take workaholics. But the parents put a lot of pressure because that's where she wanted to go. And they went to this person, and they were friendly with the head of the seminary, and he said, I'm not accepting she's a great girl. Not for me. And then they went to the, his boss, he had a boss, and the boss said, whatever he says, that's what that's what goes. Then they went to the money man of the school, the money man, and they said, he said, I would love to take it, but there's no room in the dorm. And the person said, I will build a floor. That's a true story. I will build a floor on the dorm if you take my if you take my daughter. And he said, We're not building any floors, I'm really sorry. And this girl was rejected. And at that point, that was the only seminary she applied to, and therefore there was no other seminaries to go to except one seminary that was just opening up that year for all the girls who couldn't get into any seminaries. And she went. And in that seminary, she met a girl from California who was struggling with life, with the Yiddishkeit. And this girl, who was not accepted in any other seminary, was Makara of this girl from California and turned her totally around. And Hashem was saying the whole time, no. You need to go to that seminary for all the girls who didn't get into any seminaries because your roommate is going to need your personality and need you to change you. So what was said before is 100% true. Rejection from one place is only because Hashem wants to put you somewhere else. I'm saying witness on this story that I know it to be true. This story happened, and this is what we have to tell our kids because everything is in the Torah. So the brothers, not like this principal, apologized for what they did to their brother. They fell on their faces. When they said, we messed up. 
We'll be your servants. We're so sorry that we judged you. And here's the answer that I give anyone who goes through rejection. And I learned this with them. So the brother's like, we're sorry, we rejected you, we're really sorry. No, said Yosef HaTzadik. You don't worry, you didn't hurt me. You think, principal, you threw me out, you hurt me? You think you didn't take my resume, Shatchin? Tell you a cute story about a Shatchin. So I have the, I get, I have some very feisty Brooklyn girls in Ornava. So there's this one girl who has a very bad resume for Shiduchim. She has two brothers off the derech. Her parents are divorced. She comes to the Shachin and she gives her the resume. The Shachin looks at it. She looks up at her and says, I'll try, but you really have a lot of baggage. That's what she tells the girl. Talk about rejection. And the girl looks at her and says, she goes, I know. I have a lot of baggage, but do me a favor. Tell the boy you read me to that it's designer baggage. True story. Yeah, it's Louis Vuitton. Good baggage. I got good baggage. How, how, how do you how do you get the nerve to say that? This pustic. She's one of my girls. Don't worry, principal, that threw me out. I got thrown out in third grade. Okay, so. And then again in 10th grade. I don't know if it turned out yet so good, but I'm working on it. Kisachas elokimani? Said Yosef Atzali to his brothers. You didn't. You thought you rejected me? You think I'm, I'm God? God wanted me in Mitzrayim. God didn't want me in Canaan. He wanted me in Mitzrayim so I could save the world. Kisachas elokimani? Hashem didn't want me to get into this school. I don't know why. He didn't want me to marry this guy. I don't know why. Seminary day is worse than Tishabov. When they get their answers, no, you're rejected or pending, and they know they have to beg, and they're not going to get in anyway. What our children go through on seminary day, when they get their answers in the mail... But there are going to be girls. A seminary can't take 20,000 girls. So there are going to be girls that are going to get that rejection. So how are they going to get through it? And there are going to be guys that are not going to get into yeshiva or the share that they want to. How are they going to get through it? By what Yosef said. I applied. It's not for you to get it done. It's for you to try to get it done. That's the answer to this session today. Sometimes the answer is no. I don't need you in the big, unbelievable seminary. I need you in a, was a they said it was a loser seminary. It's for all the kids that are losers. But I always tell everyone that girls in my school, one man's trash is another man's treasure. You're my treasure. You need to answer that. You need to believe it. You need to take it in. You need to understand it, that yes, we want something, and we wanted this girl to go here, and we want this, and we want that. But Yosef HaTzadik, who went through so much trauma, in the end turns to his brothers who rejected him and says, you didn't reject me. It's so deep. You have to walk out with this, because you have this in Muna, your whole life is different. You didn't reject me! Hashem used you as a tool to get me to Mitzrayim, but you can't reject me. Nobody can reject me, because God doesn't reject me. 
God accepts me. If you live your life, I don't run this world, and sometimes the job that I want, I'm not supposed to get, then you could be Yosef HaTzadik. And the end of the parasha, when Yosef HaTzadik dies, terrible Pasuk, it's not a terrible Pasuk, but the last Pasuk in Bereshis that capitalized everything, but Yamas Yosef ben Meir ben Esther Shanim, he died 110 years old. But Yichantu Yosef, they mummified him. But Yisim ba'orim ben Mitzrayim, and they put him in a coffin in Mitzrayim. And then everyone gets up, all the men and children get up and say, "Yay, chazak chazak in this chazak." He died. They mummified him and they buried him. Yes, chazak chazak in this. That's how you end Bereshis. That's the last pasuk in Bereshis. The answer is yes. Because what looks bad is really amazing. Because Yosef said, don't bury me like my father in Eretz Canaan. Bury me in Mitzrayim because you're going to need to take me out with you. Because when they came to the Yamsuf, the Yamsuf said, I'm not splitting. Ma roha yom vayonos vayonos Yosef. He saw, they saw the Arain, the bones of Yosef. So it brings down, Rashi brings down that the, the Yam said, I'm not changing my Teva. And, and Moshe Rabbeinu said, yeah, but we're carrying the bones of someone who broke his Teva. Yosef had Tzadik. So Chazak, Chazak, what looks so terrible, he died, they buried him, they mummified him. It's the best Pusik. Because if that Pusik didn't happen, we would have never gone through the Yamsuf, we would have been killed, we would have never gotten to Harsinai, we wouldn't have gotten to Torah and the whole Beratius Baralokim, the first Pusik in the whole book of Beratius, that Hashem created the world for what? For us to learn Torah and to do mitzvahs. Wouldn't have happened unless he had the last Pusik by Yisim He had to get buried in Mitzrayim so that he had to carry the bones through the Yamsuf. That's the Torah. And if you understand that, there's no rejection. There's no such thing. You have to walk out of here and say, I'm going to force something? Am I God? And that's after the biggest rejection ever mentioned in the Torah. The opposite of rejection is acceptance. And then we'll end with this. And then if somebody wants to ask questions, we'll answer questions. So I don't know how many of you have heard this and seen this, but I'm doing this for the people. I hate to repeat, but this is a very important story about acceptance because the opposite of rejection is acceptance. And the reason we have so many kids on the streets today, and you have mamish 12-year-olds, 13-years-old, and they go from, from 10 to 0 in two days. And there's so many kids in the 18th Avenue Park in Borough Park, and there's so many kids on East 18th in Flatbush, you shouldn't even go to see what's going on there every single night. And Shabbos, it's, it's not normal. And then there's a circle park on King's Highway in Flatbush. And then there's the lake in Lakewood. And then there's certain places in Muncie. What's going on? And the answer is, if my parents reject me, or my school rejects me, or Klyestrel rejects me, there is one place, ladies and gentlemen, that accepts everyone. Whether you're a learner, you're not a learner, you're smart, you're not smart, you're rich, you're poor, you're ugly, you're beautiful, doesn't make a difference. There's no, there's no boundaries. You know who accepts everyone? The street. The street accepts everyone. So when a child feels unaccepted, they walk out that front door. My father used to say, you want to run away? Come, let me help you pack. I had nowhere to go. Where am I going? My backyard? I'm going to go sleep in the backyard. Today, 
12-year-old girl can walk out of her house and never come back. There's 70 apartments in, in Flatbush of boys and girls. You don't have to come home. The street accepts everyone. And that's why all our kids are running into the street. Because we love you! Hey, man! Shalom Aleichem! We love you! Want a cigarette? Want some drugs? Want a girl? Want to do it? Boom! You're in! You don't got to answer to anyone. They don't ask you, do you know Gemara? Did you make a laning? They don't ask you, are your parents rich? They don't care how you dress. Pants, no pants, skirt, no skirt. Piercings, tattoo, doesn't matter. You're accepted. That's the power of the street. And if you want to fight that, you want to fight that acceptance, then we have to accept them in our homes so they don't end up in the street. So I'm going to tell you a story about a girl, and we'll end with this. When I first... I'm a Rebbe. I was a Rebbe in Crown Heights Yeshiva. For 30 years, I came into my class, my eighth grade boys. They were Israeli kids. They weren't from kids. It was Kirov. They came to my house for Shabbos. It was beautiful. I didn't deal with drugs. I didn't deal with kids off the derech. I dealt with kids that came from non-from homes. It's much easier. I spoke to Noah Weinberg. I remember when we were talking, and he was talking, he does Kirov for Chaykim, and he said, I don't know how you do what you do. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I sell them cherry pie. They're, they're coming from non-from homes. Shabbos, shul, kiddish, herring, kugel. They, they come running, these non-from people. But a kid that was from, who became not from, is you gave him cherry pie, and he spit it out. He doesn't like it. Now, how do you give it to him again? So you got to put chocolate on it and whipped cream and make it look different. It's a very hard sell. It's a very hard sell. So I was teaching the kids who had no cherry pie. They were excited. They came to you for Shabbat. I was teaching them from one day. I get a phone call. I was always a storyteller since I'm a little kid. That's what got me out of trouble always. So this person that was in, in working with kids who came from rehab, drug rehab, Ezra Max, came over to me and said, Tish above night, I want you to go to Judah's place. Judah's place was on... Uh, on Quentin Avenue, it was a place for post-rehab drugs. Jewish kids that were in rehab that came out. So now, if you don't give them something to do and a good crowd to be with, they're just going to relapse. So they opened this place called Judas Place. I knew nothing about drugs. I, nothing, I didn't understand that world at all. I had nothing to do with that world. He says, you're a great storyteller. 12 o'clock midnight, we're having a special tish above tish. So Judas Place had a big television with a couple of computers a big, huge couch, a pool table, and a ping-pong table. Okay, 12 o'clock, what am I doing Tisha above night? Okay, I'll come, I'll tell a story. He said, these kids are angry. They're angry at Hashem, they're angry at rabbis, they're angry at everything. you got to have really good stuff. I said, okay, no problem. I walk in at 12 o'clock, I sit down, there's a chair, and a couch. I, I see it as I'm telling you the story, a leather couch. And on the couch are three boys and three girls. Girls are not dressed. The guys are not dressed. It's Tishabov. Mamish Tishabov. And I never dealt with these kids before. Now, the street, the way the street works is when the rabbi comes to talk to the kids, so there's, there's always this one big shot, this one mouth that will challenge the rabbi. If you beat him in the challenge, they all bow down to you. It's like whatever the rabbi says. If he beats you, they walk away. They're not interested. It's, that's the way it works. I didn't know that. I sit down. And I had my stories. I had a whole story about Moshe Rabbeinu and his struggle and he couldn't speak and the whole mice. I had all my mices with me. And this 14-year-old little blonde girl gets off the couch with a face 
walks up to me. She must have had 30 piercings in her face. Everything was pierced. Her nose, her eyebrows, her cheek. She had a tongue ring. She walks over to me, and she looks, I'm sitting, and she looks down at me, and she goes, get the blank out of here, man. I was like, whoa, I was invited. And she starts cursing me. Every foul word, words I never heard in my life. And she's telling me, get out. And everyone's like, Abby, Abby, her name is Abby. Abby, Abby, get him, get him, get him. Uh, I came to tell a story. It's a true story. And I'm sitting there like, I never dealt with this in my life. I'm like, Hashem, help. Send me an email. We didn't have emails even then, but it's a long time ago. It's help. And she's like, what? What do you come here for? What do you want? And then she starts to curse Hashem. In my life, if you curse Hashem, I will break your head. If a guy would walk over to me and say, blank God, i kill him. And I have this little 14-year-old blonde girl cursing Hashem with every curse you ever heard in your life. And I'm starting to, I'm a client, and I'm starting to go like, I'm not putting up with this. But I'm in the room. These kids are in the room. I got to win this. If I lose this, it'll never, it'll never happen again. When she finishes her tirade, I'm like, Abby, you finished? I'm never finished. I'm like, you are amazing. What? Blank amazing. I'm like, no, you don't understand. I came tonight, and I'm, I'm talking slow so the message should come from Shemayim. I'm stalling. I don't know what to say. And I'm like, you, you, I came tonight to prove to you that there's a God. But for the last five minutes, you've been cursing him, which means you believe in him. You just don't like him. You're pretty angry at him. But you didn't curse the Martians or people from Neptune. You believe in Hashem, Abby? You're like, what? I'm like, you don't like him. But you know, hate and love, they can change very, very fast. But do you know how many kids I work with in my school that don't believe in Hashem? Could you come teach in my school? She's looking at me like I'm nuts. Could you tell them how you know Hashem? And all the kids sitting on the couch are like, ooh, he got you. Now I'm in control. Anyway, I was there till 4.30 in the morning. We talked, told stories. She sat there, Nebuch, this poor kid, rejected from school, adopted, rejected by people who gave her up, total rejection. And we sat till 4.30 in the morning, me, her, and the boys. It was an amazing Tisha but It was actually the night that my idea of ever doing care of, I never knew anything about care of kids that came from from homes. That's when it started. It started on Tisha B'Av. That mama started on Tisha B'Av night. On the way out the door, they're locking up. Abby turns to me and says, Hey, rabbi man, I'm like, yeah. Could I be your chavrusa? I'm like, no. Not looking for chavrusas right now. We became very close. It was two years of Gehenna. I chased this girl all over, all over Brooklyn. Don't ask. Me and Rabbi Max, we did not sleep at all. I got her to take out all her piercings. The first night I met her, she had, must have had 30 piercings. If I, if I would have had a magnet, I would have never gotten rid of her. She would have been just stuck. I would have been stuck. I think I told her that. There's this one piercing she had in her tongue. A little smiley. 
And every time she talked, this little smiley would go up and down. It made me so nauseous. My girls, my daughters, when she came for lunch, Shabbos, they would like look in her mouth when she was, look, huh? <laughs> and I told her, you get infections. When you have ice, it gets cold. Like, like. And she said something to me. I, I think it's, it's the share today. She said, Rabbi, if you gave me a million, one day, she had no money. She always wanted money. I went over to her. I took out $500. I'll never forget it. She never saw $500. I took out five $100 bills. I said, Abby, you give me that tongue ring. Here's $500. And she looked at me and she said, you don't understand. I wouldn't take this tongue ring out for a million dollars. I'm like, why not? She says, because it's my identity. I remember how she said it. This is who I am. This makes me different. This gets me attention. Nobody in my life ever gave me attention. This gives me attention. One day, it was Simchas Torah night. I'm on my way from Rabbi Weinfeld's shul to my house. We're on the corner of East 22nd and Avenue K. I heard a whole story about Amnon Yosef. He gets up and he speaks and they throw, they throw piercings at him and he put it on a, on an Aron HaKodesh and it was very cool. I said, you know what? Let me try. He said, Abby, here's the deal. If you give me your tongue ring, that's the only thing she had, the only piercing she had. You give me your tongue ring, I will pierce my talus bag. Your tongue ring will be on my talus bag. And every day when I go to Davin, I will remember Abby for the rest of my life. But you got to give it up. She goes, you would never do that. I'm like, I don't lie. You give me that tongue ring, it's in my talus bag. We walked, got to the corner. She said, Rabbi Wallerstein, close your eyes and put your hand out. I'm like, no, I am not doing that. She goes, no, do that. I said, my eyes will stay open. And she unscrewed it. Shem's my witness. On simplest of night, she unscrewed her identity. And she dropped it in my hand. And I was like, ooh, I need some alcohol. And so I put it in the mikvah, put it in the alcohol. And I pierced my talus and I brought it with me. And I have 40 other piercings from other girls since that story. Why'd she give me that tongue ring? Because all she wanted was acceptance. I just want someone in this world to think of me. And that's what acceptance means. Except it means when a husband is thinking about his wife and calls in the middle of the day for no reason, just to say, I'm thinking about you. When a parent takes a child out, didn't, doesn't deserve a present, didn't do anything great. Like, why are you taking me to the park? Why are you taking me to the game? Why are you buying this for me? Why are you taking me out to lunch? I was thinking about you today. You know, we don't spend enough time. No reason. Acceptance, that's all they want. They just want to be accepted. You want to fight the street? Want to keep your kids out of the street? Accept them at home so they don't need the acceptance of the street. And at the end of the day, there's no such thing in this world as rejection. Because when you get a no, it's coming from Hashem. Hashem is just using that person as a shliach. Thank you. Whoever wants to see what could happen to a person who is not accepted, this little smiley 
you can see it, is her tongue ring. Her identification of who she was, she became from a human being to a teeny little thing like this. This is what could happen to a person who feels rejected. Make sure the people around you never end up becoming a tongue ring. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.